You have your Bibles tonight. We're going to be in the book of Judges again. Chapter 3 still. There's a lot of Judges in chapter 3. <laughs> um, we've talked a little bit about um, the book of Judges and how uh, Israel kind of goes through this cycle where they live for God and then they stop for a while, then they cry out to God and He uh, raises up a deliverer and then they live for God again, then that deliverer dies and then they just don't know what to do themselves so they go back to their old ways. And you guys can get yours, yeah, color in Lucy. Color in that guy. Um, first week we talked about Othniel, which is a very popular story. And then last week was the gory and graphic story of a left-handed fella named Ehud and an overweight king. And so, whenever you're, oh, whenever you're, what was I saying? So in our Bibles, Judges chapter three, we'll pick it up there. I guess I am reading now. I don't know what I'm doing. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Sorry, 31. Oh my word. I was out in the sun too long today. And my brain was fried. As well as my head. So please forgive me. Judges 3 and 31. You got to pay attention. This is a long story. And it says, And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew the Philistines, 600 men, with an ox goat, he also delivered Israel. There you go. That's probably one of the longest stories in the Bible. One verse this guy gets. Uh, I preached on this before, so some of this may sound familiar because it's there's only so much you can say about my friend Shamgar. But this story is in the middle of my favorite story we talked about last week, Ehud. You know, you hear about Ehud and then this verse, and after him, him being Ehud, Shamgar, was there. This kind of happens. Judges 3 tells the story of Ehud and Eglon, and right at the end, chapter 3, there's this little verse, and there's a, the writer's kind of like, oh yeah, there's this guy, Shamgar. Um, he did some stuff, and then it goes right back to Ehud. It's kind of like Shamgar is almost like an afterthought, and I think sometimes, um, as people of God, we can feel like that. We can feel like maybe uh, we're not important, maybe we're just kind of an afterthought, and we feel like we maybe fallen through the cracks sometimes, and I've been there uh, just in life, and church, and work, everything, really. We can feel like that. Um, you know, I've told you before about how we wanted to go and aim, and it took us five years, which is not the way it should work. Apply three times before they're like, oh yeah, you know, maybe we'll process it this time. And uh, you know, at work, I was always passed over for promotion. Um, one of their complaints about me was that I was too, I had too much fun at work, which doesn't make any sense. So I never got promoted because I had fun. But till the end, then I did. But we can feel like just in life that we're passed over, kind of like Shamgar. Just oh yeah, there's. Yeah, Brenda's also here. Yeah, there's whatever. She did some things too. We can feel like we're just kind of, you know, thrown in there. Um, but God always sees. 
It doesn't matter who else notices. Nobody else maybe even knew what Shamgar did. He didn't fight with anyone. He was kind of by himself. He just did this one incredible thing that you know they took notice of, whoever the writer is. And, um, but God notices and God sees. It doesn't matter really who else notices, but God sees what we do. And if we are faithful, he will open whatever doors need to be opened for us. Above all, we're called to be faithful. And it's easy for us to feel over, overlooked and underappreciated, but we don't work for God to be promoted, to be uh, looked at, to be appreciated, whatever. We work for our King, Jesus, and He always sees, He always pays attention. So we're going to talk about three things um, that stand out from the story of Shamgar. The first thing is Shamgar, the story of Shamgar takes place the same time as Ehud. So Judges 3 and 30 says, So Moab was subdued the day under, under the hand of Israel. That's when Ehud came back and they all um, they killed 10,000 uh, Moabite soldiers. And the land had rest fourscore years or 80 years. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew the Philistines, 600 men with an ox goat. He also delivered Israel. And Judges 4 and 1 says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. So it's kind of like telling the story of Ehud. And there was some peace for 80 years, and Shamgar did this thing, and then Ehud dies, and then um, people did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the, the scholars believe that Shamgar was a, a contemporary of Ehud, or he took place, his story took place the same time as Ehud. He served during Ehud's time with him. And generally... You know, at the end of these types of stories, the judges, it'll say, you know, the land had rest for so many years, and, and so-and-so died, and then Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. But it doesn't say that was Shamgar. So it's probable that it kind of takes place during Ehud's judging time. Um, it says the land had rest, then there was Shamgar, Ehud dies, Israel does evil. So logically, the Shamgar takes place when Ehud was around. And I like to think... Um, that Shamgar was inspired by Ehud. Um, by this left-handed kind of weirdo that didn't really fit in with the way we would have thought things would go. But he, Shamgar would have seen or heard the story of Ehud rising up to fight, how he outsmarted the guards and the king and how he got the victory. And as a, maybe as a result of that, Shamgar felt like he could do something for God too. And when we take a step out in faith and we take a step out in worship or uh, in prayer or we, we, we take a step out and we, we teach a Bible study or we minister or we serve, when we do that, someone else will see that. And someone else can be inspired to do something for God because you have done something for God. It creates a culture in a church and people see your faith and they're inspired to believe too. I didn't grow up worshiping in church because I wanted to. I grew up because everyone else did it. So I was like, well, that's what we do. And if he could do it, then I can do it. And that's why, you know, that's how I learned how to worship. That's how I learned how to pray, which is watching other people. And I was inspired to do such a thing. And my, my church always... Um, was process, no, producing pastors and preachers and, and teachers. And, and I think that's part of the reason why I got into this type of thing is I, I saw these other guys go 
you know, go forth and do things. And I was like, well, maybe, uh, maybe if God can use Tony that drives a bus, I know he's a pastor in, in Pittsburgh, maybe if God can use him, maybe he can use this guy that works at McDonald's. And maybe I can do something. So when we take a step in faith, there's always someone watching. And when we, we do that, it creates a culture in our, our church and people see your faith and they're inspired to step out and do something to you. And it's kind of a chain reaction. If someone else does it, maybe I can do it. And the more risks we take for the kingdom of God, the more exploits we do for the kingdom, the more miracles we see, the more prayers that we pray that are answered, the more the next generation is inspired to do that also. I'm here because of... Um, People before me who inspired me. If they can go through what they went through and make it, then surely I can do something. If they can go to a foreign country you know, and write a book about it, maybe I can go do something. If they can be used of God, you know, the background that they've come from, maybe I can too. When we take a stand for the kingdom of God like Ehud did, we don't only impact now, but we inspire the next one. Maybe a Shamgar, someone who... Well, if he can do that, then I can do something. When we allow God to use all that we are, our awkwardness, how he made us, like Ehud, there's a Shamgar in the wings watching. So the first thing is, he took place the same time Ehud did. The second thing is the enemy was more advanced, but that didn't stop Shamgar. Uh, we don't know what happened? We don't know if the Philistines attacked. We don't know if, if Shamgar was just, you know, out plowing his field with his oxen. And he was like, oh, I see some Philistines. Let's go cause some trouble. We don't really know what happened. But you see, Shamgar had seen or, or heard of the story of Ehud rising up to fight and get victory. And maybe a result of that, he felt like he could too. Um, so the Philistines are here and Shamgar comes along with an ox goat, you know. It's a, it's a long pointy stick used to, um, um, you know, if you had team of oxen, you're plowing, this is the one go anymore. Well, now we got tractors, you know, we get the motor running, it doesn't work, you go figure out what's going on, then you put some gas in it, whatever, diesel, whatever it is. But then you had the oxen, they don't want to work, you got to get them going. So you had a stick, and you just give them a gentle poke. Maybe not so gentle, depending on how many times I stopped that day. But that's what an ox goat was. It was just a long, pointy stick, and he would just poke the oxen to keep them moving. So Shamgar, he has this stick, and he just destroys 600 guys with a stick. He didn't have any newfangled weapons. He didn't have state-of-the-art technology or anything like that. He didn't have an army with him. He didn't have a group with him. He didn't have a team. He didn't have a sword, a shield, a spear, a dagger, a slingshot like David. He just had a stick in God. And the Philistines, they were more advanced in the art of weaponry and the weapon making. If you read later on at the time of Samuel and Saul in 1 Samuel 13, there are no smiths in Israel. There's no one to forge weapons. 1 Samuel 13, 19 and 20, it says, Now there was no smith found throughout the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his halter, his axe, and his mattock. So the Philistines were more advanced 
You know, this is years down the road this, that story takes place. But it seems like Israel never really learned or were interested in making weapons. In 1 Samuel 13, it says they relied on the Philistines to sharpen their weapons. And the Shamgar was a while before this, but we see here that Israel just didn't seem too concerned with it. They had come out of Egypt, they'd walked around Jericho, the walls fell down, and they took the Jerichoites, whatever they're called, weapons, and then they went to the next place. Then they conquered them, so they took all their weapons, then they went to the next place and they conquered them. So they just had a pile of weapons that they didn't they didn't make, they didn't um, you know, to really they didn't really know, but they were they were slaves. You know, they lived in the desert for a long time. They didn't really know how to make weapons or anything. They were a nation of shepherds, farmers, and, and priests, and they didn't depend on military prowess. They went to war with God when God told them to, and God helped them tremendously to get the victory. They weren't like a, a great military powerhouse. So it's unlikely that they really ever got into the weapon making. But the Philistines... And they were known at this time for being much more advanced than Israel when it came to weapons. They, they didn't have God on their side. Uh, they relied on their weapons. And if you take God out of, um, out of it, the army with the best weapons and the best strategy is generally the army that wins. The Philistines were known for their weapon making. They were much more advanced. But the thing is, Shamgar still had God on his side. And it doesn't matter if you are outmatched or outskilled or how simple you are, if you have God with you, you are ahead of the curve. The church may not always be on the cutting edge of technology uh, or whatever society says is popular. We're usually maybe a little bit behind if we're honest with ourselves. But with God, we still have growth. With God, we still have victory. With God, we will still advance. As a youth pastor, people would say things like, well, we're competing with technology and the attention spans of the youth are just not there, and they just, you know, they got games and all this stuff, and, you know, whatever. They got their cell phones and the cool lights and special effects and all this stuff, and they're all, they're, we have a hard time with youth because of this. But I found that when you had a move of God, the cell phones stayed away. The technology didn't matter. The simplicity of the service didn't matter. When you have a move of God, all that stuff doesn't matter. If we have God, we are ahead. If we have to rely on everything else, then we are in trouble. Shamgar didn't rely on the latest weaponry. This man just had a pointy stick, but he had God with him. And even though he was outnumbered and outweaponed, a stick in the hand of a child of God is more effective than anything else. Don't be intimidated by what you have or don't have. Be encouraged by who you have on your side. Yeah. This brings us to our third point. Last point. This one's a bit longer. Hopefully, we'll be out here in five minutes. Shamgar didn't have much, but he gave it to God anyway. Jesus has given each of us something different. He's made each of us different than each other. I have three children, and all of them are very different from each other. There's, um, if I count it correctly, there's 16 people here tonight, and all of us are vastly different than each other. He's made us all different. We all have different skills and talents and personalities, abilities, gifts, and all that stuff. 
Uh, how many times do we get caught comparing what we have with what someone else has? Or we sell God short with excuses, you know? Feel like oh, maybe I should do this thing for God, but I don't know, I'm not good enough or um, whatever. How many times do we hold the Holy Ghost back from moving with our excuses? You know, I'm not good enough or too young or old or awkward or broken or tired or whatever, inexperienced, whatever, whatever the thing is. We like to make up excuses about why we can't do what we feel like God wants us to do. We make these excuses and we compare ourselves to others and say, well, I'm not this person, so I can't do that thing. Like, I'm not... I'm not Brent Carter, so I can't pastor. I'm not whatever, so I can't do this. Whatever. We're all different. We're all, and we find ourselves comparing and making excuses, and we sell ourselves, and we sell God short, because He wants to use you and me, us, how we are. He wants to work with us. For our 2 Corinthians 10 and 12, it says, For we dare not make ourselves with a number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. They're measuring themselves by themselves. They're comparing themselves among themselves that are not lies. Bible says that if you're comparing yourself with others, it's not lies. So stop it. When we compare ourselves with others, we make excuses and we, we handcuff the Holy Ghost from having his way. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you see that person and you want... You know, I want to heal them, but I need you to pray for them. And we say, well, I can't do that. Or, you know, that person, they need a Bible study. I want you to teach it. Well, I'm not this person. I, I don't know. I've only been in the church for this long. I, I can't teach them a Bible study. Or I'm not smart enough. Or there's a, there's a people or a nation that needs to hear about my name. And we say, well, I'm not me. I can't go. I don't like this or that. Or I can't speak the language. Or whatever it is. We come up with these excuses. And, you know, we... We pull on things from our past and say, because I'm this way, I can't do anything for God, or because this happened to me and people know about it and whatever. We just, you know what I'm saying. Moses had a problem speaking, Gideon was scared, but God still used them. Philippians 4 and 13 is an overused verse, I would say. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If we rely on Him for our strength, we can do whatever it is He's calling us to do. In Bible school, they used to say, He doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Either that's true or it's not. Either you believe, you believe it or you don't. You know, um, if you believe the rest of the Bible, if you believe the Bible is God's Word, infallible, then this is in it. He gives us strength and we can do whatever He wants us to. We can do whatever He's called us to through Him, through His strength. Either we can do all things or we can't. We like to say we believe the Word, but then we pick and choose what we believe. And we're like, well, that, that doesn't apply here. Either He's our provider or He's not. Either we are anointed called out, sanctified, saved, sent workers in his kingdom or we're not. So which one is it? What do you believe? You can't really pick and choose with the scriptures. There's no excuse good enough. A Shamgar could have said, you know, sorry God, I can't do this. I don't got a sword, I just got a stick. 
Like it was a stick you just poked an ox with. It wasn't a stick you used to kill an ox. You just poked it. It was just to, to get them going. And I can't do it. I don't have a sword. Samson could have said, you know, I can't fight that. I've only got this jawbone of a donkey. Or David said, you know, I can't fight Goliath. I've only got a sling. Or Peter could have said, I can't preach the day of Pentecost because, you know, a few weeks ago I, I betrayed you. Paul could have said, you know, I can't change the world. You don't know what I've done, who I've hurt, who I've offended, where I've been. Anyone can make excuses. It's not hard. Most tries to do it. It's, it doesn't take long before we find excuses. But in the end, they don't really hold up because we're all different. We all have different um, talents and callings and skills. We all have different pasts. But we are all called. We're all anointed. We're all saved. We're all chosen. We're all important in His kingdom. We all have... Um, Something different in our hands. Maybe it's an ox goad, like Shamgar. Maybe it's a sling, like David. Maybe it's a dagger, like Ehud. Maybe it's experience, like Peter. Maybe it's an education, like Paul. But when we put it into the hands of God, there's no telling what can happen. It's just a stick, but he defeated 600 Philistines. It's just whatever. It's just a little guitar playing. Somebody can hear the gospel through it. It's just a conversation, but it could lead to something else. It's just uh, this or that. It's nothing big or important. It's just a talent, just a passion, just a burden, just a calling. But in the hands of God, it's so much more. What you may have may seem, or what you have may seem small and insignificant, but in the hands of God, it could be something incredible. He made man from the dirt. We look at dirt, we wouldn't say, oh, it's something coming to that. But that's where Adam came from. He filled empty pots with oil. All they had was a pot, and he did something with it. He made fire fall from the sky to burn a wet sacrifice. He used a stuttering man to lead and to speak to an entire nation. He used a guy hiding to lead a wild army of 300 men to victory. He used a shepherd to be a king. He used a, a Pharisee to be a missionary. He used a few loaves and fish to feed thousands. It doesn't really matter what it is. If we put it into his hands, he can do something incredible with it. It may not seem like a lot, but with God, it is enough. Um, I told this story before. Uh, there was a man named Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick was born with um, cerebral palsy and he was in a wheelchair. He couldn't um, run or walk or anything like that. Um, they, told the, they told the parents, the doctor said, you know, um, there's not much we can do about it. He's not going to be able to do much. Uh, they told him he would be a vegetable and they should put him in an institution. Um, his parents didn't accept that. They took hope and they noticed that as a young boy that um, his eyes would follow them around the room and they worked hard with him and they taught him um, the alphabet, taught him words and all this stuff. They worked hard and um, when he was 11 he was fitted with a computer that helped him to speak and communicate and uh, they learned that he was actually very smart. He just His body just couldn't do a lot. They learned that he was actually very smart and he told his father that he um, 
wanted to, to race. And there was a local lacrosse player who had had an accident. He was paralyzed. Um, and he wanted to show him that life went on. He wanted to inspire and to help this other guy. He, you know, was an athlete and he was fit. And all of a sudden he couldn't do what he used to. And so he told his father as a teenager, he said, I want to race. And his father wasn't a runner, but you know, for his boy, he said, oh, okay. He agreed anyway. And so in 1977, Dick and Rick Hoyt entered their first race together. Um, Dick would run, and he would push Rick in his chair. I don't know if you've seen any of these videos. Um, and, and Rick said, when I'm running, I don't feel like I'm handicapped. And so they kept running. And as of March um, 2016, they've kind of retired now, but the Hoyts had completed in, um, completed 1,130 endurance events, including 72 marathons and seven Ironman triathlons. They had completed... And they'd run the Boston Marathon 32 times. And adding to the list of achievements, Rick and Dick um, biked and ran across the U.S. in 1992, completing a full 3,735 miles in 45 days. And they impacted thousands. They inspired thousands of people. And Rick graduated from Boston University. And he worked in special education, helping communicate and develop technology for people like him. And his father says he, we still haven't figured out what kind of vegetable he's supposed to be. And to the world, Rick didn't have a lot to offer. But what he had, he placed into the hands of his father and he carried him through. And together, the father and the son accomplished incredible Things. And you may not feel like we have a lot to offer, but if we place it in the hands of our Father, He can help us do incredible things. Ehud killed one man and had 30 verses dedicated to him. David killed a, a giant and they sang songs about him. Shamgar took a stick and beat 600 men in gets one verse. He didn't get a lot of recognition. What he did was pretty incredible. But it's not about recognition. Do it anyway. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. It's, it's not about our name. It's about his name. Some of the greatest Christians I know, and some of the people that have influenced me the most are unsung heroes. People outside of the church that I'm from wouldn't really know them. I've told you about some of them before. Sunday school teacher, Bessie. Peter, who was always praying at the church, who's a truck driver, would come and, and pray at the church. You can go basically almost any time of the day and either Peter or one of his sons would be at the church praying. There was Bernie Hanscom. Uh, he used to testify in church. He used to pray for the pastor an hour a day, I believe. Um, Brother Benson friend Mike Long was a, um, in France. Roger Lucky, another just accountant type guy. I can tell you how many 
cars are in the parking lot, how many parking spaces we have, how long it's gonna take before you know, we have to get more parking spaces added, and knows how many chairs are in the church, all of this, everything. And he's been through a lot of rough stuff, but he's always up in the front worshiping, no matter what the service is, no matter what's happening. My youth pastor, Neil, you know, one of the best preachers I've ever heard, but nobody knows who he is. Won't get licensed because his wife didn't marry a preacher. She said, I married an accountant. <laughs> so he just, you know, he could be whatever, be go somewhere and do something, but he chooses to stay in the church and, and work there. And no one knows these, these people, but they've had huge impacts on my life because they're willing to take what they had and give it to Jesus. Their talents, their personality, their time, and that's how we make an impact. King Saul failed because he was jealous of David and his accomplishments. He thought everything was about him. And he started comparing. They're like, oh, Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his ten thousands. He's like, no, I've done all these things. I'm going to ruin this kid. And he started comparing. And when we start doing that, it's going to fall apart. Because it's not about who gets the most recognition. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about Jesus and his kingdom, about his will and his plan and his purpose. Changing the world around us, about submitting to him and letting him use us. So let him take your talents, your time, your money, your knowledge, your personality, your past, your future, your hurts, your questions, your family, your doubts, your faith, whatever you have, let him take it. If it's just a stick compared to the Philistines' um, swords and shields and all that, whatever it is, let him take it. Put it in his hands and you know, what he can do with it is going to just be amazing. You can do whatever you allow him to. It's just a stick, Shamgar. God can't do anything with that. But he had a huge victory because he let God use him. And it may seem small. What we have, we don't have a lot to offer. But in the hands of God, who knows what can happen. David had a sling and a stone. And they wrote songs about him. Moses had a stutter, but God used him to deliver his law to his people. Do you ever wonder about that? You read those first five books. Moses wrote those. And they didn't write them so much as they passed them on orally for a long time. But that's what God used. Peter had a personality. If we knew Peter, we wouldn't want to be around him. He was loud and in your face and rude and swore. Got angry. But he let Jesus use him. And we put whatever we have into his hands. We put our life into the hands of Jesus. He can do incredible things with us. Here I am, I don't have much, but use me. So it's up to us. We're going to keep doing the same old thing, same old, same old, and keep selling ourselves and God short and keep comparing, you know, our church with this church or our ministry with someone else or whatever. Or we can put what we have into the hands of God 
and watch him do something amazing. It's just a stick, we think. We give it to him anyway. Amen. Well, does that make that's clear?